Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you as we start on a new five-week journey on our new series titled, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And this whole series is designed to help you make, well, what do you think? Better decisions. How many of us have, need, have needed at one point in our life to make better decisions? Yep, uh, absolutely all of us. So that's what this whole series is about. Now look, this series is based off of a book written by um, Andy Stanley. This book is, it's a newer book. I've read it, read it when it first came out. We gave every graduating senior a copy of the book. We'll continue to do that till he updates it. Then we'll give him out the second edition because this, this whole, the book and the series is set around a series of five questions. And these five questions can be in, well, should be our decision-making filter. And if we allow these questions to be our decision-making filter, we will have far less, what? Regrets. Because some of those regrets, well, they stick around, don't they? Yeah, they stick around. Now, Andy Stanley, if you don't know, just give you a little background. Andy Stanley is the son of whom? Charles Stanley. How many of us know who Charles Stanley is? Yes, okay, I figured that. All right, so we have Andy Stanley, we have Charles Stanley. Now, Andy Stanley and Charles Stanley combined, so what you got to think about is Andy Stanley's been preaching for, I don't know, 40, 30-some years now, and Charles Stanley, he preached for 110, I think, something like that. But between both of them, they have about 100 years of preaching. It's pretty amazing, isn't it, how they overlap like that? And as you know, these just are some wise, helpful people. And so over the years, I've loved learning from Andy. I just feel like he's repackaging his dad. And of course, he has his own insights on things. But what I love the most about them, Andy Stanley and Charles Stanley, is the wisdom. Some people are just gifted in wisdom. And if we can grab a hold of that, it, it can help us become more wise help us make better decisions. So that's what this is all about, these five questions. And look at Proverbs with me. This is what it says, Proverbs 27, 12. It says, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. I see the head shaking going, yep. Already experienced that before, haven't we? Yeah, prudent means wise. It means intelligent. In this context, the prudent, the wise, they see what's coming up ahead. They've experienced life. They've asked themselves some questions. They see the danger, and so they take refuge, meaning they see there's going to be a problem. They see what's ahead. They go, nope, we're going to take shelter. We don't want to run into that. But the simple, well, simple are people who are just mentally naive. They're aimless, they're inexperienced, and they're just drifting around life. You ever done that before? Oh, every single one of us at 17, 18, 19 years old, we're just kind of drifting, trying to figure it out. And this, throughout Proverbs, the prudent and the simple are constantly compared because the prudent, well, the wise one, it's what Proverbs is trying to get us all to be. The simple, they just don't see what's coming. And in this context, the simple pay the penalty. Have y'all ever paid the penalty for your not making wise choices? 
Y'all ever still paying the penalty for not making wise choices? Yeah, absolutely. And so we all know this is true. You ever just, well, this is one of those times I, I would usually share a sermon illustration, but I have absolutely no interest in telling you about those, right? You follow me? Anybody else want to share a mistake with everybody else here? Yeah, this whole thing's about bad decisions, so I, I just wanted to limit. I had a range. I was like, I'm going to share some, others I'm not sharing. They just don't, that's for me. All right, but let's keep going. But the truth is, listen, about being simple, we all start that way. Every single one of us start off simple because we don't know, and you don't know what you don't know, especially as you're growing up. So we all start off simple. We all start off not knowing. We all start off a bit naive. Some of you, you had great families who dispensed wisdom. You had great fathers. You had great grandfathers who just gave you like so much wisdom and so much advice. It just helped you go further, faster. Some of us, well, we didn't have that. Some of you didn't have great families. In fact, the wisdom that your family gave, it turned out not to be so wise after all. Just got you in even more trouble. Right, so we all start off simple, and then we have what other people give us, what other people tell us, and, and how we see our parents act, our grandparents act. And so we're all over the place when it comes to making decisions and how to make good decisions. Because a lot of us, you end up just bumping around life, don't you? You bump around life, you make one decision after the other, and if you don't have these filters, if you don't have a decision-making process, you can just keep repeating the same mistake or that same relationship they're that same thing over and over again. You get on the cycle. But this, hopefully, will help you. So today, the start of the series, it's all about integrity. Who thinks integrity is important? We'll find out by the end of the sermon how true you think that is. How important is integrity? So let me ask you this question. Who's the greatest salesman you know? Think about it. Is that that guy on the infomercial? The guy who showed you that car? Yeah, well, all right. So I found out in high school that I was a pretty good salesman. It turns out I like to talk a lot. My teachers already knew that. And it turns out that if you mix, and I'm kind of passionate if you didn't know, and so if you mix something I really like with my ability to talk, well, I'll just talk to you all day about something I really want to talk about. And so I found out that that's a key to sales, you just talk about a product, talked about the good experiences, and lo and behold, I was making more than my high school teachers. They got really mad about that. And so I found out I was pretty good at selling things, selling other people's products, but did you know that I'm not only good at selling other people's products to other people, I am the absolute best at selling other people's products to myself. <laughs> How about you? Aren't you the absolute best at selling other people's products to yourself? Don't you know the best things and the right things that you need to say in order to know that you just have to have things? For instance, I'm sure you already saw, I'm sure there's already a Facebook post out there somewhere. Y'all said, Shh, wow, take these shoes for instance. <laughs> so I got these, these week, I got these this week. So we were school shopping with the kids, and I haven't even, you shouldn't laugh yet, okay? This is a true story. So I had these shoes about 25 years ago, true story, because they're awesome, and you know that. So I had them about 25 years ago. They were a different color. They were all black, but I always wanted the all black with the white outline, okay? That's just, just information, good information for you, you, you to have. So we saw them at the shoe store while we were shopping at the seven different shoe stores trying to buy Troy shoes. 
Anybody else have a child who can't find the shoes they want, so you go to seven different stores at nine years old? It was ridiculous. Okay, so we went to all these different shoe stores to find Troy the shoes that he needed or wanted or whatever, and I saw those. And so I said, well, I gotta, I gotta try them on. I mean, I just have to. And so I did. I tried them on and talked about Jessica. said, you gonna get them? I said, no. I can't. This is for the kids. This isn't for us. This is for the kids. She said, okay. So we left, and the next door we went into, guess what we saw on Tyler's size? These shoes. I said, well, I have to have them because Tyler wanted a pair, and if Tyler gets a pair, well, I can't disappoint Tyler. So here's, here's the rationale, because Tyler thought it was cool that Daddy likes the shoes that he likes the shoes, so I said, well, I have to have them because what if Tyler becomes a failure because I don't buy these shoes? Tyler won't be able to go to college because he's going to be disappointed. He's not going to trust me. He's not going to love me. Tyler's whole future is on the line if I don't buy the shoes. With so much at stake, what would you do? You'd buy the shoes. Here the shoes are. Now, I can't really justify when or how I'm going to wear them, but needless to say, how else can I take cool pictures like this? See? It was worth the shoes, isn't it? I think so. Okay, so we're moving on. We all, the thing I know about you, because it's true about me, it's true about all of us, we can sell ourselves. You can go back to the other verse, so that's not sitting up there this whole time. Yeah, thank you. But here's the thing I know about you, because I know it about me. We can sell ourselves absolutely anything that we want. We can talk ourselves into believing that we not only want it, but we what? You already knew. We need it. We have to have it. Our brains are amazing at justifying the things that we have to have. And if we don't have, if we don't have it, then everything's going to fall apart. Our marriage is going to fall apart. The world's going to fall apart. I mean, we have to have these things. And so you end up with red Nikes with air on the side. But not only can we justify these, well, we can confirm that it's the right decision affirm that it's the right decision. Even after you made it, you go, I'm not too sure that was a good decision. After I bought the shoes, I looked up and I saw a red shirt. And I said, oh, it's from the Lord. Look, red, that must be from the Lord. In fact, if they're red, what does, blood, what does red represent? I just told you, blood. And you can't talk about blood without talking about the cross. So truly, I'm a great Christian. Why? Because I'm being evangelistic with my shoes. You ever try to affirm or confirm that decision you made on why you had to make it and why it was just a great idea? It's called what? Confirmation bias. Y'all ever heard of that? Andy Stanley says this. He says, the moral of the story, and you're going to hate me for this, which is why he says it, not me. Most of us want to be proven right more than we want to know what's... Isn't that true? We aren't on a truth quest. We're on a confirmation quest. All of us are on a confirmation quest. In 1960, Peter Watson coined the term, the social phenomena that we all already experience of confirmation bias, which is that each and every one of us, we interpret, we interpret events as new evidence, as a confirmation of what we wanted to be true. You ever done that? You know you have. Think about it. You wanted that new car. You have to have that new car. You go on by the new car, then what do you see? That same car, everybody else has it. Nobody had it until you had it. 
You ever notice that once you buy that car, everybody else has the same car? No, that didn't really happen. You're just what? You're looking for it. And that's harmless enough, but what about, what about when people say, say things about other people? What about gossip? What happens when your friend says something about somebody? And you want to be supportive of that friend? And then you go and talk to that person. What are you looking for? You're looking for how your friend's right, aren't you? They said that person's mean. What are you looking for? Evidence of what? That person being mean. It happens. That's why gossip is horrible. Talk about yourself. Don't worry about other people. I mean, the Bible warns about it all the time because then you're just judging. You're just, you're, you're affirming what your friend said and, and you have this tendency to just judge and confirm what well, may not even be true. For instance, it's happened to me. People have assumed that I was what's called a fundamentalist. If you don't know what it is, it's okay. You can look it up. People have assumed that I was a fundamentalist because of the school I went to. And when they say that term fundamentalist, they're referring to it in a negative term. And it's basically people who are opposed to having fun. Okay, dancing. Yeah, dancing. What else? Disney. King James only. Y'all ever met people like that? Some of y'all say I am one. That's okay, you can be one. But people have accused me of being that type of person because of something that happened in the 1980s in the school I went to. What year do you think I was born? Right, so about the time I was born, or perhaps before I was born, this thing happened, and I went to this school, so they assumed that because I went to this school and something that happened 40 years ago, that that must be me. And so people started saying this term fundamentalist. said, what are you even talking about. I didn't understand it. You see, because I've been to an independent fundamentalist Baptist church, I went there for one year, and guess what I found out? I didn't like it. And guess what they found out about me? They didn't like me very much either. And so I had been and experienced that, and I knew I wasn't that, but people saw a school, and they started looking to confirm what they believed was already true. I bring that up about me because has that ever happened to you? Well, people judged you or thought things about you that weren't true, but they just assumed they were true? Well, how often have we done that about other people? It's gut-wrenching, isn't it, right? I mean, this is, this is real life. We're looking to confirm what somebody told us or what somebody said or what we think we know without getting to know the person or talking to the person. It's this confirmation bias we all have to be aware of, and the examples are endless. Stanley says this, he said, but on a personal level, wanting to be proven right more than wanting to know what's true will undermine your ability to make good decisions. Wanting to be right more than wanting to know what's true will undermine your ability to make good decisions. And I don't know how to help other people, but we can talk about us, can't we? We can't control how other people think, how other people behave, or what other people do, but we can control how we think and what we do, and we can talk about our decision-making process. One more quote for you. He says this. Go back. He says, everyone is potential victim of confirmation bias. The folks who escape its clutches are the exceptional people. You want to be exceptional? Shake your head. Yes, that's a good thing. Yes, we want to be exceptional. Exceptional people who recognize what's happening and go looking for information that doesn't line up Look at an opposing view, doesn't line up with their bias. These are rare individuals. This is a rare individual. That requires extraordinary security and uncommon measure of curiosity. And why does it take 
a tremendous amount of security and curiosity to, to overcome the clutches of confirmation bias? Because you and me, we have to be a-okay with being wrong. How comfortable with you about being wrong? Saying, I missed it, I was wrong. How comfortable are you with then following up with a what? And I'm sorry, an apology, right? These are difficult things for us to do, isn't it? It's not difficult to understand, but the truth is we don't want to be wrong. But it's okay. Life's full of grace. We'll get to that. So this is the first question, the integrity question we want to ask is, am I being honest with myself? <laughs> really? That really is important, isn't it? It gets through the first lie. Am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself, really? You see, the truth is we are all prone to self-deception. We're all prone to selling ourselves things we don't want, things that we don't need. We're all prone to listen to our friends, to be on their side at all costs. We're all prone to believing what we've heard. Rather than truly investigating or truly learning for ourselves, you say, well, Brian, how do you know all that's true? Social media has already proven it. It's, it's already proven it. We're all prone to self-deception, every single one of us. And the Bible warns us about it. Why is this? Jeremiah 79. The heart is what? Deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all things. And beyond cure, who can understand it? The Bible says your heart lies to you, folks. Our hearts are deceitful. And while perhaps our hearts can lead us to some good things, maybe some helpful things, maybe some compassionate things, above all else, the heart is what? This is where we're confronted. Is the Bible wrong or is the Bible right? Which is really, are we wrong <laughs> or are we right? Is the heart truly deceitful? Does it lead us astray? Jeremiah says it does. You see, a popular belief, and one that you may have picked up along the way, is that people are basically good. That people who do the right things, people are basically good. But the Bible says, nope. It says that isn't true, not even close to being true. It says the people aren't very good. In fact, the people are very sinful. In fact, people are capable of some horrible, horrible things. You already know that's true, don't you? Your thought life tells you that. Hopefully you don't act on them, but you think them. All people are capable, are capable of terrible things. That's why Isaiah says this. Isaiah 64, 4 says, or 6, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts or like filthy rags. This is a very powerful imagery here. We'll just call it filthy rags, though. We all shriveled up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. You ever been swept away by your sin? Just getting caught up like a leaf, and the sin just takes you down a path? You didn't even know you were on the path. In fact, you thought you were right. And you looked for confirmation the whole way down that path, didn't you? That you were headed on the right path. Path. But Isaiah says, no, no, no. Even the things we want to do that we think are good, they're not. If you're doing things for pride reasons, if you're doing things for self-promotion, if you're doing things to bring glory to you and how awesome and how amazing, well, that's called sin. Who's supposed to get all the glory? 
Yeah, God, right. And so Isaiah says, no, 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 no. Romans 3, 23, you know this one. For just a couple of us or all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there isn't a time in our life that this isn't going to be true. There isn't a time in your life that you're going to overcome the power of sin. There's not a time in your life that you're going to be sin-free, problem-free. On the other side of this life, yes. But on this side, we're all going to have to deal with sin. And listen, sin isn't just for the young. And just because you can hide it better now, and just because your parents aren't checking on you like before, right? When you get older, you just know how to sin without people knowing about it. You don't quit. You can cover it up, can't you? Yeah, all of us are in this sinful position. And you say, well, Brian, I don't know. Well, listen, listen. Look what Jesus says here, Mark 7. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within, not an external, from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Out of all these evils come from inside and defile person. Every single one of us has a heart issue. And it's what comes from out here that defiles us. And this is very important for some of you. It's not what someone else, what someone has done to you that defiles you. This is very important. Listen, someone else can do sin to you. Someone else can hurt you. Someone else can do the unspeakable. And we think that makes us filthy and clean. No, no, no. Jesus, this is Jesus, is important. Jesus says, from what comes from within, meaning what comes out of you defiles you. If somebody else has done something or hurt you or something along those lines, you're not unclean in the eyes of the Lord. It's what you've done. You understand? That's very important for some of you to, to own and think through. It comes from within. That's the unclean, unrighteous things. So don't blame yourself and take responsibility for things that weren't yours and aren't yours to take. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You want to know why you snap or why you're angry, why you're mean, why you're negative? You want to know where that comes from? In here. It's your heart. That's where all of these things come from. And so the Bible paints a pretty clear picture that it's from within here where all that sin comes from, which answers that question. You go, well, how could they? I never saw that coming. Lord would say, I saw it in the heart the whole time. Well, how could they? I mean, I just, we didn't see it. He said, it's been in here the whole time. But we can cover this up. We can't hide it from the Lord, but we can cover it for other people. Because Jeremiah tells us, well, the heart is deceitful above all things, beyond all cure. You see, what we have to understand is you and I, we deal with sin we have to understand that sin is real. We have to understand it doesn't matter how smart you are, how old you are, how much education you have. You struggle with sin like everybody else. Which means the decisions you make or the, the conclusion you come to, it may be what? Wrong. Let's go ahead and just say it. I can be wrong. Some of y'all won't even say that. Let's say it together. On count of three. One, two, three. I can be wrong. Some of y'all that hurt, didn't it? You got choked up, cough, rock. You get them some water. Where you get them some water? Yeah, but it's okay. Like, it's a common human problem. It's okay that you can be wrong. The Bible paints a very clear picture of this. I mean, the Apostle Paul, the man who we would say dedicated his life to the Lord 100%, went on missionary journeys when there weren't 
cars, airplanes, and air conditioning, right? Floated around on boats, got shipwrecked, gave it all up for the Lord. Look at how he describes his issues. Romans 7 says this. It's going to be a lot of scripture, just bear with me, but you got to see how he deals with this. Romans seven fourteen says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. How many people have felt like that? Yeah, just the honest ones. Okay. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do good, sorry, this tongue twister, myself who do it, but the sin living in me. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desires to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Some of us feel like that. Next verse, 19. He says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep doing. See, it's not just you. And if you're at the point where you're going, Well, I don't even do evil, you've missed it. You've missed the gospel. You've missed the point of none of us are righteous, none of us are there. We all need Jesus Christ continually. This is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, that's no longer who I who do it, but it's the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Right there with you. Ready to pounce. Ready to take you out. Ready to put those thoughts, get you to act on that stuff. Just evil's right there. Next verse. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. You see, this is someone who understands the depth of sin. And in order to understand good, you have to understand bad. And in order to understand holiness, you have to understand sinfulness. And Paul is struggling. He understands the depths of sin, which is why he can write about how great and amazing God is. He says, what a wretched man. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And while he's saying a whole lot of things there, what I want you to see is his struggle with sin, his understanding of sin, understanding that all of us in here sin. We're prone to sin. We make bad decisions all the time, and that's the whole point. If I make sinful decisions, am I going to have regrets? Absolutely. That's the whole point, is the integrity question. He says that evil stands right there with me. We have to start with integrity, and that's why. By being honest with myself. Really. Am I believing a lie? Am I choosing a lie? What's going on in here that's causing me to feel that way, to think that way? But you see, thankfully, as we see Paul struggle, he says, who can rescue me? You ever felt like that? Who can rescue you from sin? Who can rescue you from those dark thoughts? Who can rescue you from doing those things you don't want to do, but you end up doing them and you just sit there? He says this, thank the Lord. He said, thanks be to God who delivers me through whom? Jesus Christ, this is why sin's so important. If we minimize sin, who else do we minimize? Correct. We don't elevate sin to make you feel bad. We elevate sin to elevate Jesus Christ even higher. We all struggle with sin. We all deal with it, but thanks be to God. 
Jesus Christ has delivered us. You see, we don't have to flounder. We don't have to just sit there wondering, well, what do I do? Thanks, because of Jesus Christ, we can know that we've been delivered, that we can live free. That doesn't mean sin goes away. That's part of this world. And so you and I are going to struggle. We're going to have to live with this idea that we can do good. We can do righteousness because the power of God, His Holy Spirit, because of His Word, we can do good things. Not on our own, but because of whom? Yeah, but because of Christ. But what sits right there lurking, ready to pounce? If that's new to you, you just need to know that's, that's how the Bible describes the world. That's the gospel. That's the point of Jesus. He is there to deliver us, continually deliver us, to set us free from the bondage of sin and decay. That's why Jesus tells us this, Matthew 6, 13. Remember the Lord's Prayer? You've recited, it, you've recited it plenty of time, but he says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver. We should constantly pray every single day, God, deliver us. God, save us. God, rescue us. No, lead me away from temptation. Get me out of that. I know I want to click on that. I know I want to look at that. I know I want to watch that. No, no, no. Lord, get me out of there. God, help me. Get me out of there. See, Jesus assumes that we need to pray this because what's right there next to us? Sin, evil. He says, no, no, pray it. Deliver me. Rescue me. And so we'll all have to struggle with sin. We all have the temptation to sin, but we have a Savior that's far greater. That's why we fix our eyes on Jesus, we learned in Hebrews. We look at him, we focus on him, and we let him guide us towards righteous and holy life. This this life is going to be tough. And however it works out, thank God, praise God that we have his spirit ready to deliver us, ready to save us, ready to rescue us from that and forgive us from our sins. And so because of Jesus and only because of Jesus, we know we can actually make good decisions. While that sin's there, that disgusting stuff's there, we're not hopeless. Because of Jesus, we can ask this question. Am I being honest with myself really? In light of my sin, in light of my selfishness, in light of the gospel, am I being honest? So I want you to know we can actually answer this. There is hope. Because of sin and because of evil, we're not hopeless. It doesn't just happen to us. Because of Jesus, we know we can ask this. Am I being honest really? But this causes us to pause. It takes into account sin. It takes into account confirmation bias. It takes into account that our hearts like to lie and sell us a whole bunch of stuff we don't really need. At least mine does. And so why lie? Look at what Jesus says here. Talking about the truth. Jesus says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Yeah, if you believe a lie, you're going to go down the path that it takes you. You believe the truth, it's going to lead to freedom, which means the reverse is true. If you live a lie, you're going to be imprisoned. You're going to be imprisoned to that lie. You're going to be living a false narrative. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need Jesus to push us to the truth, to live for him. So Stanley gives us three tips. He says this, admit it. We're going to ask this integrity question because self-leadership is by far the hardest thing to lead. The hardest person to lead is you because you know all the excuses as well. You know the reasons, but you know the excuses. And you can just talk yourself out of everything. So he says, first, admit that you're a sinner. 
Admit that you're capable of evil. Admit that you don't have it all together. Admit that you can be wrong. Just admit it and ask it. Am I being honest with myself, really? And he says, be curious. Start digging around. Start asking yourself questions like, why do I feel this way? I mean, really. Because nobody can really make you feel something, right? They can aggravate you, but what's going on in here is whose responsibility? That's some good counseling there, isn't it? Trust me, I've been there. Maybe some of y'all need to work through it. Seriously, that's what counseling's about. It's someone asking you really great questions to make you think about what's going on in your life. Counseling's massively helpful. But in order to do this, we have to decide. Here's decision number one for our series. The question is, am I being honest with myself? Really? And you have to decide. I will not lie to myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. <laughs> I will not lie to myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. You see, the common denominator for all your decisions is whom? You. So we can't lie to ourselves. It's not helpful. You see, growing up, always overweight. I don't know if y'all ever struggled with that. Just, you know, have some empathy while I tell my story, okay? But growing up, I grew up overweight, and if you've done that, you know it's, it's difficult, you know, trying to fit in, and you're large, and, and you can't find the right clothes, and you can't go to water parks or beach or swim in because you're always wearing the shirts, and you, it's a whole thing, okay? If you didn't know, people who are overweight, they struggle, especially teenagers. As you can imagine, being a teenager's hard in general. Being overweight teenagers, it's really hard, you have some sympathy now? Thank you. Okay. So that's what I was dealing with. And if I would get in front of people, this is what I would do. I'd always, always eat just a little bit. I always eat a little bit. And they'd be like, that's all you're going to be like, yeah, I mean, I don't know why I'm this heavy. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't know why. Like, I don't, I don't know why I'm this heavy. Like, I just, I just eat a little bit of food. And they'd be like, wow, that's all you eat? Yeah, that's all I eat. I was lying. <laughs> but I wanted them to believe the lie that it's not what? It's not my... It's not my fault. And I wanted to believe it's not my fault. I wanted it to be somebody else's fault. I wanted to be a victim. And so I got older. As I got older, I wanted to get in shape. Because you're 20 years old and you want to meet girls. I don't know how else to say it. Like, I wanted to get in shape. And so that was the reality. So I had to get in shape and I got in shape. I wouldn't have met my wife worse yet. She, oh, she's in here. Let me be careful. Okay. So needed, had to make sure she sits there. Okay. No. So I needed to get in shape. And so I got in shape, got a dietitian. Dietitian laid out to me what I need to eat, how I want to eat. And I went, why eat? Horrible. Like, that's what you have to eat to be in shape? Like, you mean the way people have six packs is by eating chicken breast and broccoli. I'm like, I could do that if you put cheese on the broccoli and you fried the chicken and then put cheese on top of it. And so what I realized is the truth was it was really my fault. Because my biggest issue, if you want to know, is I have sweet teeth. Some of y'all have a sweet tooth. I have sweet teeth. <laughs> I can out-eat any of you in sweets. I'm not proud about it. It's just the truth. You say, Brian, I eat cakes. You go and you meet a big, nope. I can eat cakes. It's horrible. Am I the only one who has like 16 bottles of Pepto-Bismol just in case at the house? <laughs> yeah, so like it's horrible, my eating habits, but it wasn't until I was honest with myself could I deal with it. It wasn't anybody else's fault that I was overweight. It was my fault. I couldn't help how tall I am. I can't help what my metabolism looks like. I mean, there are plenty of things I can't help, but the truth is... If I'm being honest with myself, I was overweight because I ate cakes. 
That's horrible, right? You can say it's, I know it is. But I had to be honest with myself. Sure, I'm, I don't have this body type or I'm not this. That doesn't matter. The truth is I had to deal with what I was dealing with. What my tr- I was overweight because of how I ate. I had a control problem. And I didn't want to be honest. I wanted it to be someone else's fault. And so now I know that my weight, it's my issue. And I always struggle and I always have with my weight. But it's nobody else's fault. It's my fault, and it starts there. But you see, when I started there, then I could get in shape, and then I did, and then I joined the army, and then so on and so on and so on. But the way I worked through that was first, first, I was honest with myself that the issue is me, and I can deal with that. It wasn't anybody else. You see, self-leadership, as you know, and as we just said, is the hardest thing you ever do, but it has to be your first filter. Stop blaming other people. Stop trying to be a victim. Stop living in those bad excuses. And ask, am I being honest with myself? So I have a series of questions. Why are you buying? Why are you moving? Why do you keep going out with him or her? Why do you keep looking for people in those places? Why did you really file for divorce? What's the real reason you moved in? Why are you taking that new job? Why are you really so angry? That's a big one. Why are you working so much? Be honest with yourself now. Why are you really working so much? Why are you obsessed with your kids' sports? Really? Why are you not back in church? Really? Those of you online, really? What's the real reason you don't call your family? What's the real reason you wear those clothes or lack of clothes? You see, Stanley says this. Next one. He says, as simple as this sounds, it's not simple. It's terrifying. And it is. After all, once we're honest with ourselves, we're accountable. Accountable to ourselves. This means that when we hear ourselves giving our friends and family all those reasons we've come up with to support our really bad decisions, we'll know we're lying. And you see, a word of caution I just want to give. Oh, because Proverbs 27.7, I'm at 27.12 says, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and they pay the penalty. And what I want to warn us about as we close up is I don't want us to think the simple are just young people. I want us to be aware that older people need to ask this question too. Just because you're older doesn't mean you're wise. And the reason why I know that is because I've met a lot of older people. And so have you. Some of them are still simple, and that's okay. But we need to ask these questions because we can assume that this is just for young people. But what I've seen is that older people stop asking questions like this and just assume that the world is supposed to be the way the world is. They get accustomed to their routines, a routine that many times they don't want changed. But change is unavoidable. And it's one thing that as pastors, we are actually supposed to do. We help you walk through the stages of life. Maybe you've never thought about that, but we have a pretty unique job that we see births and what? Our whole job is centered around stages of life. Our whole job is centered around helping you through those stages of life. 
And I know it can be scary, but the one thing we can tell you is that life is always full of change. Because to be in life is to be changing. If you don't believe me, ask your doctor how to prevent your body from changing. Just ask me, like, how do I stop my body from ever? To be in life, to be a part of life is to change. It's the way it works. It's the way God designed it. And it has to be scary to see the world change at such a fast pace. It has to be scary to see things you just can't control and think that somewhere back then was way, the way everything's supposed to be and it, and it can't change and it can't wait, move forward, but life doesn't work that way. It always changes. It has to be hard. But I don't want you to run off your family and your friends because you're angry and grouchy at the world because we see it all the time. Nobody calls them. Nobody visits And the common denominator is whom? So everybody asks this question. Am I being honest with myself? Really? And if not, this is number one. This is the first part of five weeks. I'd say they get easier, but they don't. But it's helpful, yes? I will not lie to myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. And when you're asking these, never forget about the grace of God. The reason why we own our mistakes, the reason why we can admit we're wrong, the reason why we can say, hey, I just, I just messed it all up, is because if we don't mess up, then we don't need grace. It's okay. The grace of God is far bigger. The grace of God is what you want to live in. It's what you want to experience. It's the message of our faith. That we can't do it on our own, but he'll do it for us. Aren't you glad for that? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we can gather together to hear your word and to think about being wise. Lord, throughout your scriptures, you paint this picture and show us that the world, that we are full of sin. Lord, we don't like that. We don't like to be wrong. We don't like to sin. We don't like to think that we're not good enough, but we're not. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus, who was the perfect one, the good enough one who died in our place. It's because he lives, we can live, Lord, and we cherish that, and we thank you so much for that. Father, all of us, as we think about the decisions and the regret in life, Lord, we just want to repent of those sins. We want to give them to you, Lord, allow you to carry those burdens so we can be set free from them. Lord, there are plenty of decisions we have coming up, decisions, big ones, or we're making bad ones. Lord, help us think through these in light of this truth. Am I being honest? Help us think about that all week integrity question so we can live with integrity to ourselves in order to live with integrity for others we love you and thank you in the precious name of jesus we pray amen